In this episode of the David Watson podcast, I'm talking to Mark from Tiger Fitness. And I don't even know where to start. We got into so many things. And he's such an exuberant guy, really energetic, really positive. And uh, he's a bodybuilder in his 40s. He's married. He's got kids. He's a soccer coach. Carries a gun. I mean, I, I just loved the guy. I, I really, really enjoyed um, talking to him. And the hardest part of the conversation was actually towards the end when I sort of said, like, hey, you know, we're getting close to time's up. Um, because I just wanted to keep talking to him about everything that he was doing, where he's going. And definitely one of the most motivational people out there. Really enjoyed it, and I hope you do too. And Mark, thank you so much for coming on. One. Hey, Mark, welcome to the David Watson, uh, David Watson podcast. How are you? It's an honor to be here, brother. A tremendous honor. It's always an honor to talk to people who have bright minds, and that would be you. Oh, oh, that's really kind of you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, because I actually first found you um, in a combination of ways, because I found you on Instagram. Uh, I subscribed to you on YouTube and I ended up I somehow found you on Twitter all kind of at the same time. And it was all very strange. Yeah, it, it was very strange um, because you, you, you're very different on different platforms, you know, which I found interesting because yeah. it's not one dimensional. You know, um, Twitter is where I'll get more. You get to know more of a political side. I mean, Twitter's a, a, an absolute dumpster fire. <laughs> and, um, and, 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 you know, I'm, I'm actually, is it a hyperbole of me? It's really hard to be yourself when you're dealing with 240 characters and less. And that's why I like video. That's why I like kind of putting across what I can in the visual and the audio formats because you're able to get more. You know, if I was to type something, like if you, if you look at Tim Cast IRL or Tim Pool, you know, if you were to just read his tweets, it's always like, what the fuck? What is this shit? But then you watch his, his podcast or his, his news program, and he's an extremely insightful, well-thought-out individual. You find out he used to be a liberal who kind of was like, well, I don't know if I agree with this anymore, and this stuff's getting really weird on this side. So you don't get to see the depth of a person when you look through one dimension. And Twitter is extremely one-dimensional. It's basically can you jab at somebody or get your point across in as little characters as possible, which is a freaking art form in and of itself. You look at how guys like Jesse Kelly and Mike Cernovic are able to communicate like that. I can't, I talk too fucking much. I just do. And there's a lot of dimensions that I have to get across, you know, on one side, I'm a bodybuilder, but if you, and, and that's what got me pissed off about, you know, Instagram is that people automatically assume that I'm just a bodybuilder, that I make my money bodybuilding. And it didn't upset me. It was just kind of frustrating and say, wait a second, I've been on the Inc. 509 times. How do I get this across? YouTube's cool. Um, its own dumpster fire in and of itself in the comments section, but YouTube allows, allows you to get your point across and, 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 and people can do any, everything but touch and smell you. You know, it's hitting so many different um, senses of humanity. And, and then you have, you know, Facebook, which I try not to be on at all because that is the ultimate of dumpster fires. It's basically where <laughs> families disown each other. It's like Thanksgiving, but more mean. And, and you know, I just, <laughs> I kind of try to stay off of the political stuff on Instagram. I try to keep it motivational, um, physique, family, basically the values that I feel are most important. Whereas Twitter is quick hitting viral opportunities and YouTube is a way to explain what the hell I'm doing. 
Well, it's interesting you just said something about family and values because my first thing I was going to ask you to talk about is because you you have shared it on some of your social media fam, uh, platforms is actually one how long you've been married, and the sex uh, the second one is was it a couple of years ago you and your wife redid your vows didn't you? Yeah, we uh, we did in two thousand and seventeen. Uh, we we met in high school. Um, we're actually a high school sweetheart. She was the captain of the cheerleading team. I was the captain of the football team. One of those good old fairy tales. But um, most fairy tales end in divorce. Isn't that how it goes? Yeah. And um, ours came really fucking close. Like, really close. Am I allowed to curse? You can bleep that out. Yeah, no, no. Really... no. This is adult content. Go, okay, good. Go good, crazy. Good. I was going to take my pants off any second. <laughs> uh, we came really, really close um, to ending it all. We were separated in 2016. Wow. Um, part of 2015. And um, we went to counseling. And I was honest about that. And, and to be real, that was probably... I mean, I'd like to say I've had impact. I've had people email me like, look, you helped me um, get over. Or I'm not going to say the word cure. It's a really, really absolute term. Treat my diabetes through diet and exercise. I've had a lot of um, people come to me saying that I've helped them from a health standpoint. But I've after we did our video when we went to counseling and we went to marriage counseling is when I really got people like, man, if it wasn't for you, my marriage would have failed. I'm talking from a video that didn't go viral, that didn't get thousands and thousands and thousands of views. I've had a million plus, few million plus view videos. I mean, I had more people reach out to me saying that that meant something to them. So that's why I believe social media with all its faults and all its downfalls, it's a net positive for society. And my wife and I have been together since 1997, married in 2002, 18 years of marriage, been together 23 years um, as of September 30th. And you know, it's been great. And I think we figured out the equation that works for us, but it took us over 15 years to figure it out. And both of us matured. We grew together and having kids, people who say like, Oh, my marriage is, I don't have kids yet. But when we have kids, kids make everything worse exponentially. You know, they're like, they're like 40 pound cock blocks. You know, they're the worst, they're the worst relationship (laughs) dynamic. How could you say that about your kids? I'm like, Everybody who's had kids and tried to maintain a relationship understands that it is the biggest variable, the biggest obstacle to overcome in a marriage is your kids. Because not only are they very uh, so much work, they take away from your time you spend together, but then you're going to have disagreements about how to raise your children, which is a huge dynamic, especially if maybe one person's more religious than the other. And that wasn't an issue we had. But there's so many variables that go along with raising kids in addition to two people trying to get along and live together. Oh man, but yeah, um, you know, marriage and family is 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 my priority yeah. um, at this stage in my life, and I see it be being my priority for the rest of my life. So you know, but was that my priority in the beginning? No, I was working. I was focused on my businesses, and and unfortunately, that took away from a lot of family stuff. So I, I I'd like to say I'm overcompensating right now, but it's it's my focus. But you have um, you know, you have talked about. I mean, like, what what are the values that you and your wife are sharing? Well, I mean, family first and foremost. What can we do to provide for our children, to give back to society? You know, what can we do for charity? You know, we're running a cancer, you know, fundraiser right now because it's National Breast Awareness Month uh, in the States. Um, You know, how can we be good people? How can we instill those values in our children? We are pro or... we are a pro-nuclear family. We are pro-capitalism. We are pro-country. 
we are pro-life. And those are things that we're, we're not apologetic about. It's what we, it's the values we espouse. Now, if my kids grow up and they, they learn stuff, they're like, dad, you know, I, I really believe pro-choice is the way to go. Like, I respect that decision. I don't force anything down my kids' throats. I, I don't, I've, I've yet to have any of them baptized or circumcised, yeah. well, circumcised, you know, that's <clears> the thing, but, or, you know, the bris, the baby things. We, yeah. we didn't choose our kids' religions. That. So while we might come off as Mike Pence on steroids, you know, we're actually not. We want our kids to make their own decisions but we, we instill the values that we feel will make them great individuals. So when, when we say values, um, we are a very open household as far as discussing things, you know, as far as truthful, as far as not hiding them, sheltering them from the world. But at the end of the day, we want to teach them to make the decisions that, that we feel will serve them best in life. Because one of the things um, about these values is because, like you said, you and your wife nearly separated. Um, we were separate. Oh, so you, you did separate. Um, we never divorced. <laughs> so but, we're, but there was yeah. something, wasn't there? There was something that was, that, that was bigger than all of that for the two of you. But it meant a coming together and having a kind of honesty about the things that... And I don't know how you describe it. It was like, well, this isn't working, but there's something about you that I have to have in my life. But there's something about this that we need to get through. It was about maintaining the nuclear family for us. I mean, that's what it was all about. And figuring a way to work through whatever we have or whatever differences we have, whatever issues we have, um, and figure out how to do what's best for our children, how to do what's best for our family, what's best for the future. Because once you have kids, I mean, a lot of people, you know, YOLO, you know, it's my life, living my best life. And that, you know, I don't want to put anybody on blast, but nothing pains me more than to see someone who doesn't see their children, who's in a, a, a split-up relationship, posting stuff like living my best life and then their kids are, are having tremendous issues and, yeah. you know, partaking in, in, in behavior that isn't becoming of them. And I see that and I see that as a failure as a parent. And when you have kids, you automatically, you not only put your kids before your spouse, I can argue either way, but you hmm. not only put your kids on a pedestal as number one, but you put them above yourself, you know, and once you put them above yourself, you sometimes have to make sacrifices or you have to, you know, make decisions that might not be the best for you, but are the best for their future. And, and we know, I mean, it's statistically indisputable that a dual parent household is going to be the best chance a kid has yeah. at a great life. It just is. It's statistically, yeah, there are anomalies. There's a lot of great single parents, a lot of great people who came from single parent households, but Statistically speaking, you're at a tremendous disadvantage before you even come out of the gate. Yeah, yeah. What, like you said, I mean, the statistics just show that alone. That mm-hmm. you know, um, whenever you look at uh, any children um, or teenagers that are having tr- problems, uh, especially as teenagers, um, well, the mo- well, you know what they say: numbers don't lie unless they come from Dr. Fauci. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you that don't know who that is, he is a an American doctor who advises on COVID. <laughs> And allegedly, shall we say, for the benefits of legalities, may have been caught out on one or two figures, um, especially when like, he, was... he hasn't been right once. Like, <laughs> if I had a track record like that, I'd be like, maybe it's time to find a new career. But well, there was idolize him. But the funny thing, I seen a thing recently. Uh, my apologies to the senator because I can't remember his name. But he asked him why he wouldn't condone protest marches, but does condone people going to church. And he said, surely a crowd is a crowd, to which he went, it's not my job to appoint public policy. And he was like, yeah, but you are, aren't you? <laughs> it's not his job, but he sure is influential, you know? Yeah. Um, you know what? At the end of the day, people are corruptible. 
And once you learn that, it's very, it's much easier to get along in life. You know, you just have to learn that everybody has their price. Everybody. Um, you and me have a price, like it or not. We just haven't been offered it yet. You know? <laughs> I don't Absolutely. Know. I mean, it depends. If you're, I would like to say I, I've done pretty well where I don't think I'd take a bribe or any of that. I've never, I've never had the opportunity. I've had opportunities, but they suck. Like weird opportunities, like offering me like, you know, $10,000 for a nude or something or to do a private posing session. Bodybuilding is a weird world. Yeah. Um, but if you offered me like $10 million to be like, hey, um, yeah, nursing homes, whatever, whatever the hell Fauci says, right? Like, yeah. I'd have to seriously be like, I don't know. And then you look at the money, like Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's kid, if you're in the, you, you've heard about this. Everybody yeah, yeah. Knows about our election. Because our, our elections are, in, like, I don't know who the fuck is president or prime minister of any country in the world. I kind of do. But most Americans, America is so big and vast and so full of information that we are ignorant as fuck about the rest of the world. We are stupid motherfuckers, but we have a dumpster fire of an election going. Oh, it's brilliant. And Hunter Biden is literally, and I say this like, this guy is literally like the worst person who's ever lived. Like he is the kind of guy who kicks puppies. And this guy, and, and like they keep finding stuff and, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, you know, but we have so much shit going on in America. We have no idea what's going on in the rest of the world. It's crazy we do know about canada trudeau with the black face that's the one thing we know and we know about boris because his hair is just as bad as trump's but yeah. other than that like we don't know anything america as a whole had we're in a bubble like but if you go to if you go to any other country and i've had the fortune of traveling the world every other country could tell you more about our government than we can above it about it ourselves oh we're it's all ch we're all tuned in and it's brilliant I'm loving it. I'm isn't, isn't it loving great it. to watch from the outside? Like imagine, <laughs> and people think it's it's not crazy, bro. What you guys see, I want to to all our people not in America watching this right now. I just want to state for the record, what you see on the media isn't really what's going on. I'm looking outside at a beautiful countryside. With I live in a nice area, but 99.9 percent .9 of America, I hate throwing out numbers, is extremely nobody cares. There's no racism. Yeah. There, nobody's shooting each other. There's no riots. Those are some crazy areas. I'm sure. What's a bad area in your town? I'm sure you have, right? No. Like, no. This, I, I, the, the thing is, right, this is, so, like you said, if you've traveled around, so I've been everywhere from, I was in California last year, wandered onto some allegedly dodgy places, never had any problems with anyone whatsoever. Never. Right? Even got on the downtown bus in, in Los Angeles, went around yeah. the whole thing and went to get off, and the bus driver was like, you don't want to be getting off here. And me and my mate were like, yeah, we do. And we walked and we walked all the God way back, back down to the beach. It took us about an hour and a half. Everybody was nice. And we were in downtown LA where apparently two middle-aged white British people should never be. No one gave us anything other than nice directions. <laughs> you, you know, it's, it's funny. I actually was joking around. I, we were in St. Louis, which has dodgy areas, right? Yeah. And um, see, I'm, I'm picking up your vernacular. I got you. Um, so, and I went into what my, I had a hole in my tire. My, my tire pressure was going down. My son went with his soccer team, football, his football team to a, um, to, to a, to eat lunch. I'm, I'm going to get my tire changed. And it was in the hood. And I grew up in the hood, but this was the hood. I know the hood when I see it. Nicest freaking people you'll ever meet in your life. Changed my tire, gave me advice on my oil changes. Like, I'm like, and these guys, if you saw them, and I don't, I don't stereotype because people no. stereotype me. 
But if you saw them, you'd be like, that guy has killed at least 10 people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, it was great. Many, many years ago, I used to live in a couple of rough parts of London, right? And I never had any problems. I could tell you some stories, but I never had any problems. But the big, the big difference between the UK and America is we, we don't have guns. So mm-hmm. and we, we have a bit of a knife problem in, in a few of the cities because, you know, mm-hmm. but, it, but it, it's, it's not the same level because you don't have the same fear. Although they would tell you that we do, but we, we just don't. We just no, I've been that. there. I've been there. It's a different life. And, you yeah. know, I, I mean, this is another another debate. But, like, for America, it's the greater good, um, preventing tyranny. And, you know, our whole breakup from the British, it goes back to 1776. No, I, I mean, that's a history lesson. Well, I have I have a theory on this, right? And this is to do, right? I, I, I'm a supporter of the royal family. I'll hold it straight up. But I'm also well aware it's because it's my identity. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was born in England. There's always been a royal family. It's part of my history. It's integral to my identity as to how I see myself. And that's how I see gun ownership in America. Mm-hmm. And, and guess what? On the polar opposite, yeah. I got an American flag. I'm big on the Constitution. I love the Second Amendment. And that's the problem is that there's, there, the dialogue like this is great. It's cordial. Yeah. We could talk about our history and we could get along and we could agree to disagree. But, you know, people get so tribalist, so, so into their movement that they refuse to listen to the other side or have any empathy towards the other viewpoint. And I understand. I understand. I understand the, the thought against guns. I completely understand it. As someone who's traveled to Australia, to the UK, to all those other countries, you know, I understand. I understand the pluses. I understand the negatives. You know, I, and then you have to, there's, there's always a good and a bad. So you just have to decide, well, what's the better of the two? I, like I said, I, I know, I know in myself, right? If they legalize guns in the UK tomorrow, I'm joining the queue to buy a gun. <laughs> right? And I've no interest or desire right now in owning a gun. But yeah. if you made them legal, well, I know me. I know what I'm like. I'm going to want one. I might get what bored. What would you buy? You know what you'd buy? I, d- what I don't gun? even know what, a, I don't even know. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I don't even know what guns are. Uh, I Do you know what I mean? I had a shotgun as a kid because my dad was into shooting and I grew up around farms, so I fired lots of shotguns. But I don't know one handgun from another. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I could shot, Shotguns are my favorite still, man. It's an easy, it's an easy self-defense weapon. Now, I'm not one of those guys who walks around with an AR strapped to my back because America, you know, that's not yeah. me. I'm a guy who, if I'm protecting my home, I'm going to have a shotgun, just like, your, just like your dad had, right? Well, like, I'm going to... The best, the best home protection. When I drive places, um, when I go out places, I do have a concealed carry. Um, you know, so so there is there again, like, but I'm not, I'm not a gun guy, so to speak. I'm just a guy with guns. I, I like I said, I I just know if they change the laws tomorrow, I would be <laughs> the first one honesty. fill, fill in an application. And I I will say that I might after owning one for six months get bored and decide not to own one. But I don't yeah. think that's who I am. I, I think I would be on the range, tactical <laughs> you, range, trying to be like John Wick. <laughs> you'd be like you'd be like my neighbors in Tennessee. Now Tennessee, now America, you got to realize like we're whereas the UK is the United Kingdom, America yeah. is a union of fifty sovereign states. So each state is essentially its own country. It's a union of states. So you can go to Tennessee and see people open carry right yeah. in their hip. You go to California, you see none of that. Um, 
the and then you, the crime rate's usually lower in the open carry states. So again, it's it's just it's such a such a dichotomy. It's such a weird. Um, America's weird to people looking in because they're like, well, it's America. I'm like, actually, there's Tennessee, there's Texas, there's California, there's New York, there's Washington, and all of us are different, you know. Even in the, but then again, you look in Australia and you look at Melbourne is completely shut yeah. down where they won't even let you out of your house. But you go to the Gold Coast. I just talked to someone from the Gold Coast yesterday. They're they're hanging out. Nothing's nothing's weird. Um, I've been talking to some friends in Perth, and beautiful. Western Australia is completely closed down, as in you can't come in. But if you're already in, they're walking around doing whatever they want. No lockdown yeah. at all. But you can't cross the state line. Perth is so weird because it's five hours from everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's like flying from New York. to. You don't realize how big Australia is until you go to Australia and you fly from Melbourne to Perth. Yeah. And you're like, Oh my goodness, this is as large as the United States. It takes just as long. Yeah, it is. I mean, Australia is, is a fascinating place. It was a Love it. I almost yeah. moved there in 2010. We were considering it. <clears throat> there is something very magnetic about Australia that draws you in. I don't Maybe know what the it hot is. Hot women. Yeah, it could well be, you know. <laughs> but there is, do you know what I mean? Because I, I went to Melbourne, um, I spent a day in Sydney. And I, I was in Melbourne, in and around Melbourne for a couple of weeks. Um, I'm very lucky. I had friends living out there. So all I had to pay for was my flights to get over. Beautiful. I had, and people to stay with who could take me around and show me things and lend me their cars so I didn't even have to get a hire car. Do you know what I mean? I great, great friends. And I was supposed to go out in February to visit some friends in Perth. Okay. Uh, but it's locked down and it's like the, 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 that's just not changing anytime soon. You know. so yeah, what, I don't see. Yeah, so I was going to say, I love it there. Yeah, yeah. what is the? Because we in this country right now are possibly about to go into another lockdown, mm-hmm. right? Which the country is definitely divided on which what we should be, should and shouldn't be doing. Um, and I will just say because I actually work in care, it doesn't affect me because I'm classed as an essential worker and I can go about my business no matter what sort of lockdown they do. Nobody touches me, <laughs> and I yeah, haven't. Yeah, so I have an ID. So when we did the first lockdown, and everybody else was locked in their houses, couldn't go. I was going to and from work all the time, going out and about, doing my own business because I was out working. It was great, and you know, so please lock down the country again. No traffic jams. No traffic. I didn't stop for anything. It was really convenient for me. Yeah, <laughs> but what's it like in Tennessee with the lockdown then? We didn't really do it. Like we did, like we were the last ones to go in and the first ones to come out. Like Florida and Georgia got all the press for opening up. Mm-hmm. Tennessee slid under the radar. Our county has no mask mandates. Um, you got small. You got areas of even within states. So what our governor did, Governor Billy, who I would say is pretty good in my opinion from my politics. Yeah. I like the guy. Um, he, he left it up to the local jurisdictions. So within the U.S., you have states, and within the states, you have you have governors of states, the president, the Senate, Congress, right at whatever, the federal government. But within the states, you have the governor, and then you have each city within the states has a mayor or county. Yeah. So what he did is he left the mask mandates up to mayors. Now, I live in a very conservative area. Um, a lot of guns, a lot of people who just don't want to be intruded on, who are big on freedom and liberty. Where we were like, okay, our, our mayor was like, cool, masks, not going to happen. Y'all do your thing. We're going to open up all the schools. Life is normal. 
where you go 10 minutes up the road to Nashville, which is liberal, man, their schools are just now getting back into session. Um, they have huge mask mandates and fines. So it just depends on your county and where you're in. But Tennessee as a whole is probably right up through Georgia and Florida, where we're, we have not that, again, our, and, and I point to like our cases are lower than like the people who were locked down more, which is New York, California, um, because we put such a, we're, we're, our thing is in the South, we're, we're big on liberty and freedom. Yes. And if somebody wants to lock down, that's their prerogative. If somebody wants to go out, that's their prerogative. You know, so that's how we kind of play it. And if you, it depends who you listen to. Like they just had that that accord that was signed by 6,000 doctors and yeah. everything saying that lockdowns are the worst things you can do. And if you look at the charts and graphs, mask mandates, actually, you can argue they made cases go up in California. So the thing we know about novel viruses, we don't know shit. So instead of just going like Sweden did and saying, look, we've never shut down for the flu. We didn't shut down for H1N1. Why would we start shutting down now? We've never in the history of the world quarantined healthy people. Like it's in, it's insanity. So, and like you, I'm an essential worker. Our businesses are essential. We're internet and we're grocery. So we never shut, like we never had to do anything. So my, Thankfully, I live in a place that aligns with my values. And my values are, if I want to take the risk of getting the virus, I can. If you feel like you don't want to take the risk, you can lock your ass in your house. Yeah. But don't tell me what to do because I should be able to take that risk. So if you're locked down in your house, what does it affect you if me and my neighbors, if my kids go to school? You want your kids to stay at home, they gave them the option. They have remote learning. So my thing is, okay, if you're pro-lockdown, awesome. We're a free country. So we should be able to make that choice ourselves. No, I completely agree. And But before, I'm going to take us off this topic because this could drag on for you and me all night. No, this could be this could be too long and I apologize for you. No, no, it's really nice because, like I say, I, I, I follow you on Twitter. So I see I see all of this on Twitter. And and it, it's good because it's it's, it's an interesting thing because people don't realise it's not as polarising as the media think it is. A lot of people are happy to just have a debate and say, hey, what are the facts? What do we know? What don't we know? How can yeah. some of us want to move forward and learn to live with it? And if you don't, yeah. how do we manage the two differences? It's- oh, yeah, I believe. See, I think we've already done it. Like yeah. our school system has done a phenomenal job in the state of Tennessee. Now, we weren't completely integrated because we have a lot of Tennessee trying to think um, out by Leeds. You know, when you drive out to Leeds, there's fucking nothing. It's like you're driving through those poppy fields and and you're like, okay, where am I? Like, are people going to play banjos? Um, That's Tennessee. Tennessee has some areas that, you know, you're marrying your sister and you're chewing tobacco. We have a few of them in the UK. Oh, I've seen them. And um, (laughs) every country has them. We don't talk about them though. Tennessee, (laughs) Unfortunately, it's too much. Anyway, so we've done a great job in in making it so, for example, one of my son's great friends that he plays soccer with, his mom is a complete Karen. Like, she's afraid of the virus. Afraid, fearful. Her son doesn't go to school. My son, we're not. So we're not afraid of the virus. We're we're like, hey, our kids, we're going to do our best to keep them healthy and teach them, and they're doing all they can do. So 
his friend is learning via, you know, Zoom and whatever, yep. and my son's in school. So we've done a great job at, hey, look, if this shit scares you, we've made it where you can work from home and you can learn from home. A lot of businesses have optional office hours. Facebook's done it. A lot of large corporations have done it. So my opinion is we've done a great job. And if you're scared, stay home. I respect you. I respect that. I respect if you're scared. I respect if you don't want your kids to go to school. But at the same time, for people like me who are just like, hey, you know, we got to go on and live. I think we've made it where technology, we couldn't do this in the, 1980, in the 1920s with the Spanish flu in 1918. No. We had to, hey, look, we just got to live on. We got to go forward or else our, our society is going to fail. Now we have a society where all of us, technologically based, can go on and live life, keep everything running, and the rest of us can get stuff delivered to our house, groceries and everything, work from home, go to school from home, and do what you want. I think it's a perfect situation. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I agree completely. And <clears throat> one of the things I definitely is one of the things, really big things I want to get into with you is you are nine weeks out from a competition, aren't you? Yeah, it's great. Because you are looking really, wait, but you are looking really vascular. You've been posting up pictures. So for, for context here, Mark is a bodybuilder. And you are in the 40 plus division now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm officially old. Yeah. Um, most, most bodybuilders die by 39. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just playing. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I made a promise to myself to keep training. And I never wanted to come back to the stage. I never did. And... My wife doesn't like it. She doesn't like me this lean. Um, but the thing is, you know, paying attention to my health, not being on a ton of steroids like a lot of bodybuilders, most bodybuilders at this level do, um, I'm able to keep my health in context. Um, I stay, I've stayed lean year round. Um, I took a couple years, three years off to box to, you know, to actually do a different sport. And I'm actually kind of enjoying it. And I'm only, I only weight train four days a week right now. Okay. And it's just about watching what I eat. For me, I have to eat more because I have a very fast metabolism. But, yeah, it's, it's – um, I, I just – the main thing is my kids are great athletes, and, and I kind of feel like I should be doing something somewhat competitive and athletic yeah. to set somewhat of an example for them, even though they're my motivation. Like, my kids train way harder than I do, so. Because you are – I mean, like, you are – I don't – I'm not a bodybuilder. I've, I've never been. I am – for the record, I'm 46, and I do work out four days a week but I've, I've never sort of i did actually do some bodybuilding training last year with uh oh, yeah. with, with a girl and it was the best i've ever been but so to, just for some background with the lockdown they shut all the gyms in the uk mm-hmm. and i just started going back to body weight stuff and then got a bench and during that period of time i just built a, basically a shelter out of my garden and come <laughs> rain shine zero degree frost I've got a weight bench. I've got a few dumbbells, some cables and a punch bag. And I'm not now dictated by gyms and I can just train when yep. I'm every day. Cause that's, Freedom. yeah, <laughs> you've got it in one, but is, cause yeah, you, um, is it, you're nine weeks out, aren't you? Mm, yes, sir. But you're already really vascular and lean where a lot of people would hope to be within two weeks. Yeah. I think, um, for me, I usually end up getting really lean. And then I eat into the show. It's um, a strategy that was used by, I don't know if you've heard of his name, Kevin Lavroni. He's a good friend of mine now. Um, and he used to actually take the year off. 
um, from bodybuilding. He was in a, a, a music band called Full Blown back in the 90s and early 2000s. And he used to go from in the 180s, he used to compete in the 240s, obviously at a much higher level than I am. But the difference is genetics and and metabolism. For guys with a really fast metabolism, it's really hard to bulk up and maintain it because you're eating an uncomfortable amount of food. So what I'm able to do and people like us is we're able to actually, instead of suffering before a show, we actually eat more going into the show, which is, again, and I can't, I, I would sell, I, I'm not going to ever say, well, I have a secret. You can, I'm like, no, you probably can't. It's, it's very genetically based. Yeah. And it's not me trying to sound elite. I just don't want to get people's hopes up that they're going to get to a level where, because even the best pro bodybuilders are usually surviving. Uh, John Meadows is a good friend of mine. If you don't know him, look him up. His name's Mountain Dog. Yes. On also uh, yeah, yeah. I know Mountain John, I follow John's him on an amazing guy. Amazing guy. One of the nicest Massive. guys I meet. John was on, I think he was eating only egg whites for like two weeks before a show. Like, he had trouble like walking. Like, the guy was, but that's, and he's a naturally lean guy, but for him to get to the level he wanted to be at, he had to do that. Whereas, for someone like myself, like Lavroni, there's a couple other guys I know, we're able to eat into shows. And, and that's, that's a huge, in my opinion, advantage. Yeah. Because you, it doesn't affect my life. Like people who are nine weeks out are usually like brain dead and all. I mean, I'm, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm just killing it, man. Like I have all the energy in the world because I'm eating more food. <clears throat> and even though I'm lean, I'm just sustaining just all this fuel coming in. And, you know, I'm eating five to 600 grams of carbs a day. It's, it's pretty, pretty friggin' awesome. Well, it is, isn't it? Because the, the stereotype is for anybody that's into it is that if, if you're into bodybuilding, then as you get to a competition, you basically have to starve yourself and dehydrate. And you, you hit the nail on the head. There's a lot of this to do with genetics. And genetics is everything, man. Yeah. Like, it, it's so important. People under, it's like, you can go and you can do exactly what LeBron James did, but you're not LeBron James. You're just not going to be, his, his level of athleticism, the way he, moves he shoots his limb length it, it all plays a role now there are there anomalies like spud webb who was a very short guy mugsy bogues in the nba and then you got your linebackers in, in the nfl and the american football you know you got your smaller guys who just are, are really like even troy palomalu who was a smaller strong safety you know even soccer players lionel messi what is he five six they listen to yeah. five eight five he's not five eight he's no. five six and he had to take growth hormone as far 14 years old because he had a growth problem now there are there anomalies. You have a great athlete who overcomes, but like Messi, like his foot speed, his quickness, his agility, um, that's that's God given. So there's a lot of in the elite level of athletics, even in the good level of athletics, there's a genetic component that you can't outwork. Yeah, that I mean that's um, actually I mean listening to an audio book that's talking about that very thing at the moment, different sports and different things. And Is it called the sports team? I actually have that back there. Uh, no, this has literally just been released. Um, let me just, I'll just pull up on my phone. Um, but it's all about um, how the difference between genetics and time. Um, hmm. The best, it's called, by Mark oh. Williams. How elite athletes are made. Um, interesting i'll have to get that one there's another one that's actually the opposite it's called talent is overrated i have that in my little bookshelf over there too so there's a couple must reads on genetics well this is because he talks 
the bit I'm listening to at the moment, and, and this is very prominent in baseball, apparently, or used to be until they figured it out. And that was when right-handed, dominant right-handed people, for some reason, started playing baseball with their left hand. And it's harder to learn, but once they had done it as children, they the percentage of home runs is higher with those people. There's a high percentage of those people. Wow. <clears throat> and it p- plays into golf um, and things like that. And it's to do with the fact that the dominant hand stays at the top of the bat or the, um, the club, and it helps steady. And, and he, he's broken <sighs> down all of these things about left-handed people, right-handed people, when they switch from what they were, and he, and he, but then like when he's talking about um, soccer or American football or anything like that, he talks about the fact that there's so many nuances to the game um, that the the children or the athletes that do best typically played it at some street level as a child. Oh yeah, and that's um, talent is overrated goes into sort of that same thing <clears throat> where he's talking about how hours practiced predicate yeah. everything. So it's it's profound and. Um, Again, like going into how sports work and, and, and back to bodybuilding. Bodybuilding is the most genetically based because it's how you look. Yeah. You know, you can't have a lucky game. You either look good or you don't. And it's not even a sport. It's like a pageant. You yeah. know, it's, 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 a, it's pageantry, you know, and, and lifting. You don't actually lift in the competition. It's crazy because when you play soccer, you play soccer. You yeah. practice soccer. <laughs> and you play soccer. When you bodybuild, you lift. And then you do something completely different from what got you there at the competition. So I would – to call it a sport kind of, you know, bodybuilders get all pissed off when you say it, but I'm like, if you actually look at it compared to other sports, eh, it's, it's tough. It's a, it's a tough reach. But it's, yeah, it, but it also is, it adds to the complexity, isn't it? Because all of the training you do as a bodybuilder has nothing to do with the result of the competition. Mm -hmm. Do do you know what I mean? It's, I mean, obviously, that's how you get the results. But when you're bodybuilding, you're, you're turning up at the gym every day. <clears throat> that's got nothing to do with posing. It's no. got nothing to do with getting the tan selection right. It's got nothing to do with hitting the leanness on the day. It's completely nothing to, to do with it. But you can't get there if you don't do the training. It's insane. <laughs> it, you know? It's insane, but you need to build the muscle. So yeah. you're going for that, you know, that look. It's a... Uh... It, it's a it's a it's a complex activity, um, but you know it's. I, I like it. I th- I think it kind of displays hard work. It's a lifestyle, and um, honestly, I'm not very good at anything else. So we'll just have to roll with it. Well, <clears throat> one of the things I also wanted to talk to you about because you have, you've always been very honest on your YouTube channels. Yeah. Okay, about your supplements, and and the the, the medication you take, which is all mm-hmm. prescribed by a doctor. And is that partly where the um, slogan, nothing works unless you do, comes from? Yeah, I mean, I actually, you know, that's actually a Maya Angelou <laughs> spinoff. Um, she said, nothing nothing, will, nothing works unless you do the work or something. Um, so it's a spinoff of that. And um, we trademarked in our industry. Now, you know, the thing is, when we were coming up with what our company stands for, you know, you have every supplement company, every internet store, at the time we came up with the slogan was like, Oh, take this gain 10 pounds in six weeks. And I'm like, and I have issues with liars. I just don't yeah. like, I don't like misleading people because I've been misled. I've bought bullshit before and it pisses me off. So my whole thing was how do we come out and differentiate ourselves from our competitors? 
but also be truthful about it. And then we just came up with nothing works unless you do. And that also parlayed to the fact we have the best customer service in the world in any industry. I'll put ourselves up. Tiger Fitness has the best customer service, period. So, you know, another thing is, yeah, nothing works unless you do, but we're here to help you reach your goals in every step of the way. So for us, it just played into that. But I really despise supplement companies that go and they, they promise things and they, they, they make these absurd claims that aren't backed by data. If I say anything, it's usually going to, it's always going to be backed by human data. And that's where, you know, our industry gets a bad name is people over promise and under deliver. And my goal is to always maybe not over deliver and under promise, but just be truthful. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to understate. I'm not going to overstate. Hey, the data showed boom. There it is. And with any data, there's going to be outliers on the positive and the negative. So, you know, let's look at this scientifically. So I think that honesty is the best policy. Now, it's not the easiest way to make money, you know, but you can look yourself in the mirror. You'd be proud of what you do. And you're building a house. You're not, you're not, you're not, if you ever had the three little pigs, like you're building a brick house where you can't just be blown down by the FTC coming after you, the FDA or um, Port Health or whatever, you know you are actually building a brand that is based on sound science and honesty. And that's how you build a brand. You don't build a brand based on false hope and lies. You build a brand based on delivering results. And that's what we do. That's that's good. I like that. And because, I mean, also as well, that philosophy is also what um, guarantees you long longevity. Where did this come from for you? How did you learn this? Well, I mean, for me, when I first started out in the business, you know, I worked for a publishing company, Weeder Publications, Muscle Fitness, Muscle Fitnessers, Flex. And we were actually bought by American Media. Who's American Media? The tabloids. Right. The National Enquirer, The Star, Mira en Espanol. Um, Country Weekly was one of our magazines. So I worked in this industry in publishing for years. And I had a chance to work with a lot of health companies, supplement companies, and they would tell you off camera or at that time it wasn't really camera, but off the record that they were basically lying on their labels, lying in their formulas, and these idiot customers will fall for it. And I'm sitting there and I'm just a, you know, 20, 21 year old kid trying to make gains. And I'm like, these fuckers are lying to people. And so for me, it's always about, you know, ethics and it's always about delivering because how would you feel? It's one of those where, you know, humans are the only, well, animal we know of. That's what separates us from a lot of animals. The fact that we can have empathy. And if someone else is hurting or if someone else is feeling something, we can empathize or we can feel that pain. And nothing's worse than getting ripped off. Whether you bought a car that you drove off the lot and breaks down or whether you bought, you know, a, a bag of popcorn and there's mold in it when you open it up, Right. Like that's some stuff that really pisses people off. And for me, it's always just been about giving people what they want. It's been about delivering on those promises. And I think if that's your, if differentiation is not being, like if that's how we're going to differentiate by not being liars, like that's a good thing. That's a very good thing to have. So for me, it's also about, you know, you can my childhood and, you know, my, my mom wasn't exactly the most honest person and that hurt, you know, when someone lies to you, someone you respect, or you find out somebody isn't the person they, you thought they were. We've all been there when a celebrity, their true colors come out, you know, or when something 
Like, oh my God, I, I had no idea that guy was like that. And I don't ever want to be caught in a situation like that. So how do you steer yourself straight? I have, my wife tells me I'm stupid all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I just think when you have children, you, you're not just leaving behind inheritance. You're not just leaving behind memories. You're leaving behind a legacy. And I don't want my kids, like, when they're walking through town after I pass away, because, you know, God willing, I'll die before them. Nothing's worse. It's got to be nothing worse than bearing your own child. But one day when I pass away, I want people to be like, hey, your dad, he was a good dude. You know, like, that. you know, he was, he was a nice guy. We were like, like, I don't need, like, no one's going to remember how much money I made. No one's going to remember that. No one's going to know my W, my, my taxes. No one's. No one's going to give a shit. All they're going to know is, was he a good guy or was he a dick? And, you know, the people who know me, who get to know me, who spend time with me, I'm not talking about the, you know, people on Twitter who might disagree with my opinions, yeah, yeah. but the people who know me, you know, I'd like for them to say, you know, your, your dad, that was, that was a real one right there. You know, I think that's what drives me, at least now in my life, that I have children. So what was the difference then before the children? Well, I mean, I just wanted to be not like my parents. You know, my dad was a great guy. You know, my mom had her issues, yeah. you know, um, drug addict. And um, she was a, um, she actually served in the Israeli Defense Force. So my mom's actually from Israel. So, you know, she had a lot of things going on up here that we'll never understand. Yeah. So I, I just didn't want to be like that, you know, and my brother's the same way. My brother just wanted to be. My brother's great. My brother works for, he's a, he's a senior VP for a large digital marketing firm, does very well. He's also, he, he won his bodybuilder. He's a natural pro bodybuilder. He won that back in 2014 or 15. Um, my brother is, my brother and I both went the same direction. You know, his kid just got a, a baseball scholarship to University of Kansas. You know, just a, just a good dude. And both of us did that. Now, for two kids to come from situations like we did with our parents, or my mom especially, and to actually do something meaningful and not just be another statistic, you know, I think we both had that. Whether that was genetic or whether that was nature or nurture, I don't know. But I learned a lot from my brother. You know, my brother was, maybe he's the one who figured it out because I ended up getting the same major in college as him, you know, and maybe he was the reason. But, you know, our, our goal was just to, to end the cycle because the cycle repeats if you don't end it. Now our kids, they have everything. They live in, both of our kids, like he lives in a nice area of Illinois. I live in a nice area of Tennessee. And both of, all of our kids go to the best schools. They have the best trainers. They have great food. You know, they have, if they mess up, that's on them. Like we've given them every possible, you know, advantage in life. And that was, I think that's every parent's goal. I don't want my kids to go through the shit I went through. And yeah. I don't think anybody does. But do you have what it takes to stop the cycle? You know, if you're an alcoholic, if your parents are alcoholics, do you have the willpower to stop the alcoholism? Your parents are drug addicts. Do you have the power to end the cycle, to stop using drugs? Do you have that power? And every human being does. Every human being does. So... You just have to find that. You have to go with it and you have to be strong. And that's what we try to, you know, that's what I try to tell people. It comes across 
on social media and everywhere now, like everybody thinks if you've made it, if you're doing well in life, that you have this magical thing called privilege, white privilege, this privilege, that privilege. Look, I've met a lot of people who've been through a lot of shit. I've met people who've had it worse than me. But usually if we're trading war stories, I have the edge. I didn't have any fucking privilege growing up. And if that's privilege, I want to see what it's like. I want to see the other side. You know, I had it just as bad as a lot of people. I had it worse than most people. I witnessed things that no child should see. You know, I went through things that no child should go through. I felt emotions and I have repressed memories that I had to go to counseling for that no human should have to ingest, should have to go through. But I persevered and every human has it in them. And there are forces working against you. I'm not saying that if you're a certain color that people don't treat you differently or it's not hard. It's not harder. I don't know because I've never been, I've never been a Mexican guy. I've never been a black guy. I've, ne- I've only been in this spot. I do know what it's like to be thought of every time I say something, someone intellectual to be called a fucking dumb steroid using meathead. So I do know what it's like. I do know what it's like to be stereotyped and it hurts and it's wrong. But here's the thing. You have those case studies. You have your Johnny Cochran. He was a prolific American attorney, defended OJ Simpson and got him off of the crime that he obviously committed. Um, The guy was, but Johnny Cochran grew up in South Central LA, which is probably that area that you got lost in on that bus. Nice people. Yeah, beautiful people. He was known for sleeping in his office. He was known for working 24 hours a day. Became, in my opinion, the most prolific attorney in American history. And there's something to be said about that. So yeah, you might have the deck stacked against you. You might be the wrong color or whatever, but the beautiful thing about not just America, but I'd say even the UK and Australia, for oh, yeah. I know about you guys, <clears throat> if you work hard, I always say in America, I've been to Australia. I've seen a lot of Aborigines who are crushing it. I've been to the UK. I've met a lot of, like, you got Zuby up there. He's absolutely destroying. Yeah. Like, Zuby's amazing. Like, Zuby's I'm, hoping, I'm hoping to get him on the podcast. He has actually said he might be able to do it later in the year. He, he's a smart guy. He is oh. a very intellectual individual. Um, but, but again, it's like you have these case studies and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not denying systemic racism exists and statistic, like based on statistics, it really, you could go either way. It, 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 I tend to believe it doesn't, but I don't know everything. I'm a fucking, I'm a business owner, meathead from Tennessee. What the fuck do I know? But I know this, I've met a lot of really successful people who've just overcome yeah. and the most successful people I know aren't the people like I live in a neighborhood, Brentwood, Tennessee is the third richest area in the country period. It's fucking gorgeous. And I had to work my ass off. I didn't start out in Brentwood, but I'll tell you what, I met a lot of the, all the millionaires I know didn't grow up in Brentwood. The self-made millionaires, they grew up in Inglewood. They grew up in that area you got lost in. They grew up in the, in Queens. They grew up in shitholes and they got that work ethic, that fight or flight mentality that rich people don't have. I'm trying my hardest to get my kids to think like a poor person yeah. because that's, those are the people who change the world. Those are the people who do things that you would never imagine. Those people who are grimy, who fight for everything, who always have a chip on their shoulder. That's what I want my kids to be. It's hard to instill that when you're growing up in friggin' Brentwood, but you know what? We do our best. <laughs> so, so, I mean, 
I'm being conscious of the time here because we, we've nearly hit an hour and I don't want to take up too much of your time because um, okay. you know, I, I genuinely appreciate the, the time you've given me. If For somebody who's listening to this now, who yeah. feeling sorry for themselves, feeling that life's against them, you know, and I'm, a, as a coach, I'm a bit, ag, ag, um, <clears throat> couldn't get my words out then, um, a big advocate for, look, you've got to change your perception, you know. Yeah. What if, what the fuck, doesn't matter. What advice would you give to somebody? It's like, this is where you need to just start. Uh, okay. Uh, I'm going to kind of backtrack. and I'm going to give you where my mindset is. Yeah. Um, number one is you, you don't have it bad. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a story. I'm going to try my best to compose myself because this hit very close to a friend of mine. Um, you can look her up. Her name's Tracy. And um, her name is Tracy Otto, O-T-T-O. Um, I met her at the Arnold Classic 2016. And we, I met her, I made a joke. We couldn't get, it was literally so packed. We couldn't make our way back from the bathroom. I was coming from men, she was women. And I'm like, just get behind me, I'll block the way. She ended up walking to our table, our booth, the MTS nutrition table, and just worked with us. Like the whole weekend, had a great time, you know, joked around with everybody, everybody loved her. Long story short, we became friends. She came to a lot of our events and everything. And um, I was on Facebook one day. My wife sent me over a message that Tracy was. So she was, um, she was attacked by her ex-boyfriend. She was shot multiple times in the vagina. She was shot in her eye and she was stabbed in her back, which rendered her paralyzed. So, I see this and I'm like, holy shit. So I get in contact with her family. We get together a fundraiser. She ended up pulling through. She's a paraplegic. She can't walk. She has little use of her hands. And I visited her in the hospital when she was in rehab. And she was optimistic. And she was thankful to be alive. And sure, there was some like, why would this happen to me? But here's a girl who, gorgeous. Look look her up. I'm telling you. I'm, I'm encouraging everybody to look her up and follow her gorgeous and she's still gorgeous but i'm talking like drop dead gorgeous blonde in one instant because of some crazy dude loses everything she was in the fitness she can't work out anymore she can't walk anymore she's stuck in a wheelchair she's missing an eye she has a prosthetic eye and you go in there and she's i walk in to the the rehab place and she's busting her ass trying to learn how to use a wheelchair trying to get better, trying to get out of the wheelchair. And so I want to ask everybody watching this. If Tracy can get up out of her wheelchair after that trauma, what has happened to you that's holding you back from reaching your goals? What excuse do you have? Because I guarantee you, she wakes up every morning and she has flashbacks. You think you have it tough? Imagine what she has. And she gets up and she does it with a smile every single day. So what I encourage people to do is be thankful for what you have. If you can't walk, be thankful you could talk. If you can't run, be thankful you could walk. If you can think and you can work, there are no limitations. The only limitation you have is the one you set on yourself. And if somebody's holding you back, 
prove those motherfuckers wrong because you can't because I've seen it done. So that was my, that's the only way I can really explain that because it impacted, it changes you when you see someone go through suffering like that, it changes your perspective. So there's something to be said about that. Just be thankful that you have everything you have. And if you're broke, work, (laughs) just work. It's all you can do. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, wow. I mean, I'll definitely, uh, look, um, Tracy up and yeah. I mean, what do you do when you witness that and you see that for, you know, for a personal friend? So damn, that's so, that is tough. It's, it's, it's tough to, like, I remember on my way home, I called my wife. I'm like, cool. Cause you know, you, you talk, I talked to her on the phone and we're tech, you know, and, and then to actually witness it. And, uh, it was, you know, and to hear the firsthand account, you know, that'll, that'll change you. So I think that a lot of people like to feel victimized and a lot of people, and we are, a lot of us are victimized. A lot of us have been victimized, but if you let it, if you let it destroy your life, they win. Yeah. Don't let them win. Live your life. You know, and I also think another thing is everybody always says, Oh no, don't be vengeful, man. I'll tell you what revenge is one of my chief drivers in life. I was fired from a job in 2004 and I use that. I use that every day as motivation. See, I like that because there's something bloody honest about it because there's nothing I enjoy more than pissing people off who have crossed me. (laughs) It's the greatest. It's the greatest. I, I, I just, there's nothing better than, you know, there's nothing better than proving you can do something someone said you can't do. Yeah. And because we're all capable, like the human, human body, human mind is capable of so many things. And a lot of people get pigeonholed into this. I can't, I can't. And look, there are limitations. I can't slam dunk a basketball. Yeah. Right? Like we, we have our personal limitations, but find what you're good at. Like everybody's good at something. You're at least decent at something. And if you get just a little bit better every day, you're that much closer to greatness. And that's where I think a lot of people get discouraged because they fail. And I forgot, I forgot the story, but there, there's, there's so many stories about people. And a good industry one, if you ever heard of Bang, the, um, the, the energy drink from the U.S. Right. So the owner is a guy named Jack Owok. Um, before Bang hit, I think he was selling off every part of his old company, VPX, and he just kept Bang. And before that, he literally built big companies and, and failed every single time. Like he ended up just something would go wrong. Market share would drop and dump, he's done again. He's done again. He's broke again. Like he'd make it and break it. Now he's sitting on a billion dollar brand, you know, and Jack thing about Jack is he's batshit crazy. And I love him. Like <laughs> Jack is, you think I'm polarizing. Like Jack makes me, Jack makes me look like a middle of the road, like nobody. Right. Jack, Jack is a very polarizing, very eccentric individual who a lot of people in our industry don't really, I mean, same for me. Like they, he's, he's a bit of, he's, he's, he's in his own, he's in his own lane, but I've always gotten along great with Jack and I've always respected Jack. I've known him since 2000. Um, Jack does what Jack does. And Jack is crazy enough where he's not going to let anybody say, Hey Jack, it's not going to work, bro. He's gonna be like, no, it's going to fucking work. And he's going to fail. But that 10th time he's going to build a billion dollar brand. Yeah, there's, 
there's a tenacity, isn't there, where it's just like no fucks are given. It, it, no it, fucks. You know, it, it's, it's, it's the guy that, that... There's something about a mentality where somebody can look at everything ahead of them and yeah. just say, I'm going to have the living shit kicked out of me here, but I'm not <laughs> going to give you the pleasure of seeing it. And I'm just going to keep on marching, keep on getting up, and keep on going. It's, it's beautiful, and I, I've enjoyed watching Jack. Um, a lot of people probably prayed for him to fail, but I was like, you know what? Something about me wants to see this guy make it. You know, just because because he's so out there. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. and, and if you've met rich people, they're usually batshit crazy. And a lot of people I'm, think I'm batshit crazy because I'm a bit eccentric. I'm a bit over the top. My energy can't get the best of you if you're sitting with me for a long period of time. But... You know, it's usually the guys that are just like, you know, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And they're, they're so stubborn and they're so set on that goal that they make it. And there's just something to be said about that. So if Jack Owak can make it, you know, why can't you? Why can't you live the American dream? Why can't you live the UK dream? Why can't you live the Australian dream? Like any developed country, you have that opportunity. So with this enthusiasm you have, how does that help when you're doing soccer coaching because you're <laughs> what because <what? laughs> i can imagine the reason i'm asking is because there are days that so like i said you and i both share a, a big common interest in working out all right yeah and that motto you know nothing works unless you do that's another way of saying sometimes you have to turn up when you don't feel like it and bust a fucking heart valve yeah, like that that's just how it goes. And you, <laughs> you can't pull that shift every day, but you best be doing it every other day. Right. You're right. You're right. So how do you cope with kids when you're coaching? <laughs> well, lucky for me, it's more on the strength and conditioning side. So I, I, I'm not coaching. I haven't coached this move from Illinois. So it was uh, November was my last. Um, basically, I'm, I'm, I'm about positivity and about moving forward and about just um and, you know, I'm not one of those where if you mess up, you run a lap. Like, I'm coaching elite kids or kids who want to be elite. Okay. Um, even the third team, their goal is to be on the first team. The first team's goal is to go to the Olympics or go to D1 school. So my thing is, hey, look, if you're going to act a fool, that's fine. You're going to sit. Yeah. And if you've ever taken an athlete and they're goofing off and they're destroying everybody else's program, and if you've ever taken someone who's, and it's usually the good players who goof off, you know, it's, there's different levels. Like there's the good, good players. Like we coach, one of my teams was the, uh, they actually were the girls national champ teams, the U18 teams. But not like this group, you didn't have to coach them. They were there 15 minutes early, warming up, ready to go. The third team would show up five minutes late and you'd <laughs> have to kind of whip them into shape. Generally speaking, if what I would do is be like, I'd explain to them like, look, if you don't want to train hard, there's, 13 other girls who want to train hard so you can sit and watch. And they didn't think I was serious. I'm like, Hey, go sit. And you know how debil how just debilitating and just so terrible. And I felt bad doing it because I'm like, oh, this poor girl or poor guy. Right. Like, and they're sitting there watching their team play and every five uh, coach Mark, can I go in? Not, nah, you're not ready yet. Coach Mark, I'll be good, I promise. Where if I was to tell them to run a lap, they'd run it half-ass, and yeah. I'd have to yell at them again. You sit them out, they're going to be quiet, or else first step is you get to sit near the practice field. If you're still acting a fool, you get to go sit outside. You know, so it was, for me, 
I like to use people like, look, working hard is a privilege. I never understood coaches who, hey, you messed up five push-ups. I'm like, if you want to get better, you should be begging me to do push-ups. Hey, how about the winners get to do push-ups? Losers don't get to do push-ups. I always motivate people with extra work, and it's worked. I literally had the, hey, if you win, you get to do 10 push-ups. And I had those kids fighting like it was the gosh darn World Cup. You know, um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's totally reversed from the coaching you've had. But you take a kid, you're like, if you win, you get to get better. The other team gets to watch you get better. Why do we, why do we use exercise to punish athletes? Have you ever thought of that? Go run a lap. They should be running laps after practice because they want to get better. When I played American football, I used to stay after practice for four hours to get better. These kids, it's like, oh, you, get to, you have to run a lap. I'm like, um, that's a good thing. It makes them better. You know, I, I, I never understood that. I, I tried to instill that in the other coaches there, but they're so set in their ways. Yeah. But t- trust me, if you tell a kid, if you mess up, you're doing push-ups, it doesn't motivate them. You tell them if they mess up, they don't get to do push-ups. It's crazy. So there's just my little hint. But honestly, with kids, it depends on the kid. You know, like there are certain kids, you, if you go hard at them, they respond. Like my daughter, if I tell her she's terrible, she's going to go and she's going to lift and run and she's going to be up all night getting better. If I tell my son, who's a great player in and of itself, if I did the same thing to him, he'd go in the corner and cry for four hours. You can't treat every athlete the same. And a lot of coaches, there's either hard-ass coaches or there's softy coaches. I think you need to tailor your coaching approach. It's hard to do when you're dealing with a group of 15 to 20 kids. But if you're, it's just like employees. Like I have, I have people who work for me who are totally driven by, I want to raise. And they just see numbers. I got other employees. I'm not saying I underpay them because of this. No. But I have other employees who they'd rather have a pat on the back or a, you know, me take them to lunch and just, just hang out and say they're doing a good job than, than get a raise. So you can't treat every, you can't put everybody in a box. You can't put everybody in this, in this little bubble in this little like corner and say, okay, I'm going to treat every employee like this. This is the case. This is my management style. Your management style and your coaching style should be constructed to the player. And generally speaking, when you're coaching teams, like soccer teams, you have different types of teams, you know, like some teams, they tend to blend each other's personalities. So like the, 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 U, the U18 girls um, who were just phenomenal. They were fucking studs. Like they were, they were so, their mindset was so strong. And like, it was, excuse me. So are you still there? Yeah, I'm still yeah, here. So these, I'm sorry. So just enjoyed a lovely topless shot of yourself. Yeah. These, uh, <laughs> My bad. These, um, <laughs> these, these, these girls were just next level of thought, of ideas. So all of them I could coach with the same style. Whereas, and they've been playing together for five plus years. Whereas some teams, when it's like a new team, a fresh team, you, you have one, one guy move up, you have to adapt to that. So obviously it's easier to have the team that's been together forever who all like the same coaching style. But generally speaking, unless you're dealing with that high level of a team who've been together who are older, you just got to treat each kid as an individual and recognize that and treat them with respect and treat them as adults. I don't care if they're eight years old. You treat them like you want that you, you give them that respect and they'll give it to you back. And that's probably a great place to end the podcast. But before I let you go, just tell everybody where they can find you. 
Well, I'm um, all social media, Mark Lobliner, M-A-R-C-L-O-B-L-I-N-E-R. On YouTube at The Tiger Fitness or Tiger Fitness um, is the YouTube channel. And um, tigerfitness.com is our website. If you are in the UK, you can find our Outright Bar, which will be available at most of your finer retailers of <clears throat> nutritional supplements. We're not in the grocery stores there yet, but we're, we're working on it. Um, our growth has been quite nice, so and it's uh, be nice. And for anybody that wants to know if the Outright Bar is any good, check out YouTube uh, and stunning Steve Austin, who gave yeah, an Stone endorsement. Yeah, loved it, man. Yes. He did, didn't he? I, I watched that, and he's just like... Yeah. And it was good, because he actually recognized you. He's a large dude. Like, he's huge, humongous. A large, intimidating guy. And I heard his voice. He walked into the gym that we actually now... I own part of, which is Iron Addicts. At the time, I didn't. Is that the and CT Fletcher Iron Addicts? So, yeah, CT is my business partner in Ambrosia. And, um, oh, wow. So, yeah, so we, um, I'll be there Friday and Saturday. We're actually doing a getting together. We're getting it fixed up. We're grand reopening it, hopefully, when California opens up sometime yeah. in the next 40 years. Um, no, but we're, <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, so and he walks in and he's like, hey, man, I watch your videos all the time. What are you doing here? I'm like, you're fucking kidding me. You're Stone Cold. Yeah. Like, how do you know who I am? And he's, Stone Cold's just the nicest guy over there. Nicest guy. Uh, yeah, well, that, that's what I mean. Cause it, and you literally just said, try these. And he did. And he was really yeah. into it. But I did notice. Like, yeah, he, he asked me if you could do a video. He was really like, I like these. Do you, can I do a, do you want me to do a video? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Stone Cold. Please. Yeah, of course. But I did notice how bloody huge he was next to you. He made me look like a child. Like, I'm not going to lie. That's a large man. Probably 6'3", 6'4", 250, 60 pounds. Huge guy. Yeah, he was. Right. And we'll cut it there.